0: It's so powerful and so convicting and and encouraging all at the same time. So I pray, God, as we look into your words, we continue in Acts today, God, that your Holy Spirit would truly lead us and guide us, um, convict where we need to be convicted, encourage where we need to be encouraged. Um, God, just show us what you have in your words today. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, Do you ever wish, and I know I do, do you ever wish that you could be a little more confident in sharing your faith with people. I mean, I know I do. I I know that I oftentimes, pretty much every time, I must I'll probably confess this that pretty much any time I sense the spirit saying go, I go. <gasps> <laughs> you know, and uh, that's just natural. It's a na- it's part of our, our natural thing to be intimidated a lot of times when it comes to sharing our faith. And really what I, I believe that one of the big obstacles that you and I face when it comes to sharing the gospel or the good news of Jesus with others is really the, the fear of the resistance that we know that we're going to possibly get when we share that. And how how do, how do I handle that? How am I going to handle Handle the possible resistance I get, um, whether it's in the form of uh, the extremes, like maybe being laughed at or being mocked or, or ostracized, or or even just, just simply someone might think you're weird. I mean, I, that's just isn't that a reality? Sometimes we feel like, okay, we're we, I know I'm supposed to share my faith. I, it's part of making disciples, is letting people know why, the, letting know the hope that we have within us it so often. It's so hard. And it's so intimidating to do that. And and these are really real fears that can be intimidating and to keep us from sharing our faith. Yet the cool thing is what I think we're going to see this morning in this morning's passage in Acts chapter four, we're going to look at um, some some really good tr- truths that I believe that can help us overcome or at least help us combat these fears that we have as we feel uh, intimidated. So this, this, I feel like this Chapter contains a few of these uh, good things that'll help us with that, so let's let 's catch up where we 're at as you remember because last week by the way, I really enjoyed last week by the way uh, if you were, weren't here last week, I enjoyed it because not only did I not preach, I love preaching. But I just loved hearing from people. We had a great sharing time uh, last week. And I just really appreciated so much hearing what God was doing in people's lives. But now we're back, okay? Back in the book of Acts. If you remember where our story left off, earlier in the day, in that day, Peter and John, remember they went up to this temple, to, to the temple to pray at about three in the afternoon when they came upon a man, remember, that had been crippled from birth and he was begging for alms. And after getting his attention, Peter looked at him and said, listen, I don't have any money for you. I don't have the alms for you that you want, but I do have something else. I have something else for you. I have healing. In the name of Jesus. And remember, Peter takes the man's hand, and, the, and as he rises up, he's healed. And we saw that the, first the man stands, remember, and then he walks, and then soon, pretty soon he's leaping, and he's, and he's praising God, and soon this crowd starts gathering around, and they're amazed because they remember, this is the guy, we know this guy. We've seen this guy for years. He's the same guy, day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year that's been sitting there, crippled. Begging for alms, so people are amazed. And so, can you imagine people say, hey, come, "Come and check this out! Hey, come, come on over here! You know, don't pray later. Come over here! You know, you, know, you guys, this is unbelievable." And so Peter, remember, it says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, with this crowd gathered around him, he takes this opportunity—a golden opportunity. To, share, to tell them that this miracle was not done because of his power. Remember, what a critical moment that was. This big crowd comes, and Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, listen, this is not me. This is not me, and John and I didn't have anything really to do with This, this was all about God. This wasn't because we're godly. This is all about God and this man's faith in believing in Jesus. And he goes on to proclaim, remember, he tells them about the exalted and glorified Jesus, that he's the servant who fulfills all God's promises and has the power to heal and to forgive. So gives a great, great powerful message, presents the gospel in a a great way. So this is where we left off in our story, this great story of healing. People are amazed. So this morning, what we're going to see is actually what transpires, transpires next, we're, and actually what we're doing in this, in this what we're going to see is this is the first of many confrontations that the early Christians would have with the religious rulers of their day, okay? But out of this, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to see some powerful truths that can help us in persevering in sharing the message of the gospel with people. So let's jump right in. Chapter 4, verse 1. First couple of verses says this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So there's this priest and there's this captain of the guard. And there's these Sadducees, and these were all guys that basically, they ran the temple, okay? They made things happen. The captain of the guard, he was in charge of the temple police. He was probably a big dude, inti- intimidating guy, excuse me. And so he he came upon them. And then there was the Sadducees who were this kind of aristocratic um, religious and political group that held a lot of power, okay? They, they held a ton of power over the Jews uh, in Israel and connected with everything that was happening in the temple. So these were the important people come along, okay? And they're a bit irked as we see, and they're annoyed. Okay, because Jesus, because Peter and John are teaching and proclaiming Jesus and about his resurrection. Now, you gotta understand, some of these guys are probably the same religious leaders that thought that, hey, I thought we dealt with this Jesus guy once and for all. I thought this was over. I thought this was done. Why, why are we having to deal with this again? Okay? So they arrest them, and since it's already evening, they take them and they put them in jail until the next day, until they can get kind of all the right people together for a hearing. So now we probably won't. Here's the deal. We'll probably, you and I will probably never be arrested for sharing our faith, right? I can't imagine in America being arrested for sharing. It could happen, but for sharing our faith. But we can all of us be made to feel intimidated, as I mentioned earlier. I think we can all get to that. We all get to that place. So number one on your notes there, if you're filling in your thing, the powerful truth, one of the first powerful truth that, we can, that can help us in persevering and sharing the message of the gospel with people, with people is that we should expect resistance. Expect resistance. Now, not all the time. I'm sure some of you and myself included have shared the gospel with people and they've been very receptive and very interested and very curious. But that's not the norm usually. That usually isn't the norm. It should come as no surprise to us that when people respond to the message of the gospel with not only indifference, but at times with maybe even mockery or, or ridicule or, or even hostility. I remember when I was a youth pastor, we used to talk to the students all the time about how to be faithful Christians on campus, yet how difficult that was to be because they felt like they were so outnumbered by those that just were going to uh, look, look down at that. I remember I was a part of a Christian club in high school. Back in the '70s, and um, and um, and I, I just, I remember. I still, I can still get this. I can still remember the first day I brought my Bible to school, and I didn't have a backpack. I carried it. I remember the day. I don't know. I don't remember a lot from my being young. I remember the day though that I brought my Bible and I was carrying it to the Christian club to go to my Christian club. And I remember doing this. I remember, you know that little bookmark thing that hangs out at the bottom that no other book but usually Bibles have? I remember tucking it in. Because I was thinking, what if someone stops me and says, what do you got there? You know, so that's, that's the kind of thing I think sometimes we can later on... I got past that, but I remember the first time, though, it was really, really difficult. So I think that that's the kind of stuff that we faced, or we think we're going to face oftentimes. But remember, because the Apostle Paul tells us, and here's why. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. We can be all excited and stoked about bringing our Bible, bring it to school, and all that stuff. But the reality is, we know though that there are people that are going to say that is foolish. That is so foolish. How can what you have your Bible? I can't believe that. So that's the kind of so we we got to be aware. Remember, we got to be expect that there will be resistance. Yeah, remember what Jesus said. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew. He said this: "Blessed." Are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my account? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven for they who persecuted the prophets who were before you. I still remember another story. I remember after I got through all that with high school, once I got into college, I remember I stayed, I took a gap year and then I did junior college. But I remember that year I lived in Redondo, near Redondo Beach, and I remember we'd go down to that. By then I was like, I got to tell people about this. God had done something amazing. In my So we used to go down to the Redondo Beach Pier with our, remember the tracks, those, those Jesus tracks and all that stuff? With our pockets stuffed with those things scared to death. We'd pray in the parking lot of the church. We'd pray in the, underneath the pier first. We'd pray, and the, if you had anything to about it, Redondo Beach Pier, it's a big horseshoe pier. Some of us would start on one end, and, some other, and we would just go around and just cold turkey, you know, hey, you want to hear about Jesus kind of thing, you know? And um, I still remember there was not a whole lot of positive response. Occasionally, a fisherman who was a kind of a couldn't go anywhere, you know, that was okay, but there was not a lot of positive response, <laughs> not a lot of positive response, but I remember, still remember, when it was over, I remember we would come back, and we'd tell our stories mostly about rejection, and we would be so ridiculously excited. We, it was weird, and we'd, you know, get in our cars and blast Petra on the way home, you know, and um, for those of you who've been around old Christian <laughs> rock, we'd be so excited because we had experienced this, what well, we thought was persecution, but, uh, uh, we did, we were held up at gunpoint at one time that happened to us. Uh, once the guy found out that what we were doing, he said, oh, that's cool. Put it away and left. But, but still, I got to tell you the excitement about knowing the truth about that. We're going we're to experience opposition, but the truth is we should, we should expect it. And we should glory in it, and we should be excited about it, because we're doing what God wants us to do, and we're doing it in how the Spirit is leading us and guiding us. I need you to hear this. If we are expecting to have everyone agree with us, or even expect the message of the gospel that we share to be, to be accepted with open arms, chances are we will not share about Jesus. Jesus. Because if we think, man, everybody needs to know, we know everybody needs to know the message, but if we expect it's going to come with open arms, that first time that we get rejected, oh, I'm not going to do that again. So it's okay to expect the rejection. Our role is to simply and humbly share the truth as the Holy Spirit provides opportunities and leave the results to Him. All right, second powerful truth. Number two there, truth that we get from this passage that can help us in persevering and sharing the message of the gospel with people is that man ultimately cannot hinder the impact of the gospel message. Notice that even though Peter and John are arrested, even though they're taken into prison, you would think, oh, bummer. The guys with the mouthpiece are go- are going to be put in, are are put in jail. Look, the message of the gospel is still having a huge impact. We see that the number of now those that people believe was now over five thousand, and that's just the men. So it's continuing to grow and grow and grow like crazy. And really, I and it, this really goes with kind of what we've been learning in the in Acts here that one of the reasons that Peter and John being arrested really couldn't hinder or impact. The gospel message is because of all the different levels of contact that we have seen that the believers were having with one another. It wasn't like they're like, oh, our mouthpiece is gone. You know, the, the, our, our, our pastor was put in jail. What do we do? It wasn't, it wasn't that way at all. Because remember, not only had they been exposing themselves to the teaching of the word, remember they were gathering in fellowship in people's homes and they were meeting with meeting one another's needs. They were taking care of it, they were involved in one another's lives. One commentator I read this week says the depth of devotion to community was key to the early church's vitality. So it wasn't about a mouthpiece got taken out or a big dog got taken out of the picture. Actually, the big dog got taken out of the picture and the church grew. Isn't that amazing? That's how God works, okay? This tells us that even, really what this tells us that even our personal witness to others is more powerful and effective when we're participating in community with one another because it flows out of that. It comes, our encouragement and excitement about doing that flows from that. So look what happens the next day. Look at verse 5. We'll read a big chunk here, in verse, uh, starting with verse 5. He says, On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He's rocking it, isn't he? <laughs> Peter. So the next day, what we see is this whole mix of really the prominent religious leaders in Jerusalem, and they gather to, to question John and Peter. And once again, it's the same probably some of these same leaders that are actually responsible for Jesus's death. They sit Peter and, Jay, and John down, and they ask him, what, by what power, what authority did you not only heal this crippled man, but, but what authority do you preach that power is found in the name of Jesus? Because I tell we we know it wasn't us. <laughs> we didn't give you that authority. We didn't say it was okay to do. It. So who's telling you this is okay? By what right, by what power and authority do you do this? And we see in verse eight, another powerful truth that can help us in persevering in sharing the message of the gospel with people, it says Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, responds to them. Now, it would be a huge mistake, a huge mistake to think that this is all about Peter and John being these courageous men standing up in front of these most powerful religious leaders in the country. What's really happening here is actually is the fulfillment of a promise Jesus made to them when he was with them, when he was referring to these exact type of situations. Look at Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this, and at verse 11, he says, and when they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. See, number three on your notes there. The truth is that when it comes time to witness for Christ with our words, we don't have to worry about what we will say because the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say at the time that we Need them Now, don't get me wrong here. This does not mean that we shouldn't be prepared to defend our faith or to explain the gospel clearly. That's not what this is saying. The truth is that all of us that call ourselves believers, we should feel confident enough that if someone were to ask us, what is the gospel all about? What does it mean to be a Christian? We should have some degree of confidence that we can explain that to people. And if not, I would encourage you then to just figure out, learn, look at the Bible, go online and look for ways, all these ways. What is the important ways to share our faith? But we don't need to worry. That's the point. We don't need to worry that we'll have just the perfect wording. Uh, It's the Holy Spirit's job to use the words, no matter matter how clumsy we feel they tumble out of our mouth, it's the Holy Spirit's job to use those words as we faithfully witness for Christ. I can, I'll, I'll tell you, as a professional Christian, I feel like that I probably, most of the time when I share Christ, I feel like I'm fumble, bumble, bumble. I do, I just do. But I know I've learned over time that that's not, that's, I just need to be faithful and step out. Because if I waited until I knew I had all the right answers, I wouldn't share or I'd probably share totally in the flesh and not allowing the holy spirit to take to take control. So we don't have to we have to worry. Now, here's a cool thing. Peter actually uses the question that he is asked concerning, okay, hey, what power, what authority do you do what you're doing? He uses it as an opportunity to declare or to proclaim Jesus uh, to the most powerful people in the nation. You got to do you see how incredible this is? Peter was, has been given the opportunity to share the gospel in front of the most powerful people in the country because he got arrested. See, so often we think that, oh, this needs to happen, this needs to happen, this needs to happen for, you know, if we have the right people elected, if we get all the things happen, if we get all the right things in place, then this country's going to turn around. <laughs> These guys went to jail for their faith, and they had to share the gospel to the most powerful people in the country because they're being persecuted for that. What a great opportunity. And we can probably share many stories of people over the, uh, that we've read about and heard about uh, that have had that happen to them. And he starts by giving that, love this, he starts by giving them a little jab by asking if they are being held for doing a good deed, if, you, if we're being held for doing this good deed in healing a crippled man, then it's super important that you understand who's responsible for this. Okay, if that's why we're being held, for what happened to this guy, let me tell you, this is why. This is what happened. He tells them that the power and authority to heal this man comes from the power from the same man, the name of the very man that they are responsible for executing. (laughs) That that had to go over really well, (laughs) really well. Yeah, it's the same person that God raised from the dead, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, here's the cool thing: although he's really on the defense, Peter now goes on the offense by actually preaching the gospel to these men. Okay, and he does so he he does so by bringing in Scripture. He uses the Bible. Or what was that? Now we could call the Bible. He uses scripture, Old Testament scripture, concerning what the Messiah, what was said, what happened to the Messiah. He said that the Old Testament tells us that he would be rejected. It tells us that he's going to be rejected. You people are not going to acknowledge him as the Messiah. That you would reject him. But then he goes on to make this very famous statement that we've so many of us heard that it's only in the name of this rejected and glorified Jesus comes true salvation. Him alone. This is it. Okay? There's nowhere else to turn. There's no other person or God that can be turned to for salvation or forgiveness. No one else. We all know the verse, right? Jesus said it himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, yes, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, isn't that a wonderfully popular statement today? No, no, it is so not popular. That is a not a popular thing to say, that Jesus is the only way To be forgiven of our sins. Jesus, going through Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God. There is no other way. I mean, it's okay for people to, us to have our own beliefs, right? It's even okay to say you believe in Jesus, right? It's great. You can say, I believe, everybody, a lot, people say that all the time. I believe in, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm a, yeah, I totally, I totally believe in Jesus. People aren't really offended by that. You say you believe in Jesus, that's not a big deal, Okay. But if you really want to get a reaction from people, if you really want to see where people, what people really think, say that there is no other way to be saved or be, to have salvation or have your sins forgiven or be seen as right before God, because no one else did what Jesus did. No one else lived a perfect and sinless life. No one else sacrificed their life to take away the sins of the world. No one else was raised from the dead. No one else ascended into heaven is now seated at the right hand of God. And because of that, he's the only way to salvation. People do not like to hear that. They just don't which leads us really to the fourth, gives us the fourth powerful truth that can help us in persevering and sharing the message of gospel with people. Number four is we don't have to compromise the message of the gospel because we know that it is wholly true. We know that it is holy. Now, this does not mean that we're to offend people or to be arrogant or to be know-it-all or I'm right and you're wrong kind of attitude. It means humbly telling of the Savior's goodness that you and I know because of it's true, because we have experienced firsthand. See, it's one thing when you cram Jesus' stuff down people's throat. It's a whole other thing when you say, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Okay, let me tell you how he has changed my life. Let me tell you how my identity is found in him and I wrestle with constantly figuring out how can I make sure that I don't believe the lies, that my, my worth and everything is wrapped up in my performance and how people see me and my value is all in how because of what he did and how God sees me now. People can't argue with, they, they can say that I don't believe that. But that's the most powerful message that we, we have, is to not compromise, because we know what's true in our life, and we share what's going on in our life. People are much more receptive to that. Okay, so now we see the reaction of these religious leaders uh, to, all, to Peter's uh, speech, which gives us a couple more of these powerful truths that can help us persevere in sharing our, the message of the gospel with others. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 13. It says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men and that they were were uneducated common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it, but in, but in order that it may not spread spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they call them and charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So, <laughs> I love that. I love that these guys somehow. First of all, they see they take notice that oh my gosh. Their boldness is incredible. We, wait, we, can, we know that these guys, I don't know how they knew it. Maybe it was their slang, their southern drawl. I don't know. But they, they could perceive that they knew that they were uneducated, common men that lacked any educa- much education. Yet the boldness with which they spoke, they were absolutely blown away by that. And they were addressing this whole issue effectively and eloquently and with no fear whatsoever. And really the only thing that gives them a little kind of glimpse of what, oh, okay, that kind of explains it is they recognized that they had been with Jesus who they knew was an outstanding teacher. So oh, maybe must, some of it must have rubbed off, you know, being around him a lot. They, they got a lot of that what this does, this shows us the fifth powerful truth that can help us in persevering. And by the way, if you're not writing these down, even if you are writing these down, when I ha- when I don't like doing these long list kind of things, so I just want to encourage you. My prayer would be that you would just get one thing from this sermon. Okay? One thing. One thing that you feel like, not go home memorizing or knowing all the six of these things we're gonna uh, say, okay? I would just encourage you to get one thing. But the fifth one is that we don't need formal education to effectively share the gospel. Have you ever felt like, have you ever been in a room and you feel like at the bottom rung of the educated level of people in that room? I've been there many times, many times. I'll be in a room full of Silicon Valley folks or whatever and people like that, and I just go, Wow! I better not open my. I, if I open my mouth, it better be good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it better be good what I have what I have to say here. And what we're seeing here is with the example of Peter and John we don't have to be thinking that way. We don't have to worry that oh, we're. Oh, I'm in a room with a bunch of PhDs, and I'm in a room with all these people. I and these people are really sharp. I better watch my mouth when it comes to to Jesus, because you know what? They're going to they're going to nail me. We see here these uneducated fishermen. Standing up to the most powerful, way more educated than they are people with boldness sharing the gospel. You know, we don't need a formal education or to be skilled to share the gospel. What you and I need is a real and intimate fellowship relationship with Jesus. That's what we need. I think one of the problems with the church in America is we're so, we're so into getting full of head knowledge and so into getting understanding and, okay, know what that means. I know how to, where I stand on that issue and all that stuff. And that's all good. But we forego the intimacy with Jesus. We forego spending that time on a regular basis in his word, knowing that that's how we're going to be fed, even though life seems to still be going okay. But the reality is we're missing out on so much. We're, int- we're missing out on all the things that comes with being intimate with Jesus. This is the malady, and I think this is the danger for those, especially of us that have been in church, I been Christian for decades and decades. I, I know a lot. I know a lot. But are we intimate? Are we enjoying intimate fellowship with Jesus? Now, that doesn't mean because I know I'm good, enjoying intimate fellowships with Jesus because things are going so well. <laughs> That's not it at all. I'm enjoying intimate fellowship with Jesus because I'm, I'm, I'm listening, I'm, I'm in his word, I'm, I'm asking him to talk to me and speak to me, I'm, I'm allowing, I'm telling myself, helping to tell myself the truths about what the gospel, what does it mean when I'm feeling worried, when I'm feeling scared, instead of trying to just push those, na- those thoughts aside, I'm trying to replace them with, like who am I in Jesus? What, what power do I access, do I have because of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords said it, it died for me? a whole different ballgame than a lot of head knowledge, isn't it? It's a different ballgame. Intimacy with Jesus is where it comes from, okay? And it's, and it's this intimacy that enables us to say what we're going to see Peter say in just a couple verses. Basically, he says this. Basically, he says, there's no way that I can stop telling you about Jesus because of what I've experienced in him. I just can't. I have to tell you. And we're going to see that in just a second. Now, in verse 14, as if if he were exhibit A in a court of law, the leaders take notice of this formally crippled man, and they realize, uh, we have no legitimate argument here. What are we going to do? He's been crippled. We know. We've seen him. He's been crippled his whole life, and we know that. Yet he's been miraculously healed. This is a head scratcher for these guys. Hmm. What do we do? So they send Peter and John out, out of the room to confer with one another, and they realize their dilemma. These men have done nothing wrong. They've obviously performed this an amazing miracle, and now they're heroes to the people, and people are praising God, and all this is happening, yet really the last thing that they realize they can allow is to allow Peter and John to continue to heal and to continue to teach in the name of Jesus. After all, they thought, remember? They thought they had dealt with this Jesus thing. We can't let them keep doing this. We need to do something. So they decided to threaten them. I would love to know what that threat was, wouldn't you? What was that threat? Don't you do that anymore, or just don't. You know, I, I don't know. What, well, I don't know, but I'm sure it was as strong as they could possibly do to not do it anymore. But here's the thing. If these religious leaders thought that these threats would keep Peter and John from speaking and teaching about Jesus. Man, they were sorely mistaken, sorely mistaken. Look at verses 19 to 22 here. He says, this is our last couple of verses. He says, but Peter and John answer them, <laughs> whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no, no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. He wasn't just a kid. He, they, they know it's been that way most of his life, his whole life. So essentially, Peter and Juan, here's what they do. They tell these guys that their obedience to God in being a witness for Christ is greater than their obedience to their wishes. It's just greater. Are they to put more value in obeying these guys over uh, obeying God? I mean, can you, can you just see Peter looking, so you want us to obey you over God? Is that what you're telling us? Can you see a little smirk kind of, kind of going on there? What a bold yet simple response he had. And Peter says that they're compelled to speak about God because of what they've seen and heard. They have to tell about Jesus, even if it means they must suffer for it. They're like, go ahead. We we have to tell you, we have to say something. Are we to obey God or you? I mean, can you just just put yourself in in that room for a minute, the frustration that these leaders were feeling. Can you just imagine the grinding of the teeth, the the frustration of them going, we're just, just so caught because they were so headstrong that this Jesus thing has to come to an end. But realizing that they have no grounds to punish them and that the people were praising God because of this crippled man, they threatened him a little bit more and they let him go. Our final one. Final powerful truth that can help us in persevering in sharing the message of the gospel people, remembering that when push comes to shove, we are called to obey God rather than man in being a witness for Jesus. We're to obey God rather than man in being a witness to Jesus. You see, Peter and John, they weren't worried about the response they would get for being obedient. They probably expected, I would imagine they probably expected that these religious leaders were not gonna be happy with their response. They didn't diss the leaders, they didn't tell them what they're doing was wrong. We just, we just gotta tell you what we've experienced. Out of our intimacy with Jesus and knowing Jesus and what he's done for us, We're just telling you what's going on. We're just telling you what we've experienced. And we can't stop telling us because God God told us to keep doing that. I, I love that. I love that. They were more caught up in the reality. This is the cool thing. They were more caught up in the reality that Jesus was alive, that He was Lord of the universe, that He would healed this man, and that, that that obeying Him comes before obeying any human, no matter how influential, no matter how many PhDs, no matter what those people could do to him. They were going to obey God because and do it because they just they were just th- enthralled with Jesus. That should be our motivation, my friends. That's our motivation to share the gospel. Not because we have to. Not because we should. It's because we're so enthralled with Jesus. Because we're so just enamored with what he does for us every day. How not only have we been saved, but we're continually, in a sense, being saved as he continues to forgive us of our sins and make us more like him. That's why we share. We share. Out of that's the motivation, because if that's the motivation, we're going to do it in love. We're going to do it with humility. We're going to do it knowing where this person's at, asking them questions so that we can speak into their life, not just to disseminate the information that I was told, and here, read this track, like I did when I was 19. That's where they are at. They've experienced the love and power found in Jesus, and really what they've done is made it their single-minded focus and resolute determination to be witnesses for Jesus no matter the cost, no matter what. Remember, it's not because they were so amazing. It's because they just had to tell what Jesus has been doing, and the Spirit of God led them in that. We don't have to worry that people will agree with us. We don't. It's not our job to convince people of the truths of the gospel. It's simply our job to be a witness for Jesus. And the last thing on your notes, and we'll end right this. What I believe that we're, really what this passage is telling us today is despite receiving resistance to proclaiming the gospel, we can still be confident our efforts will bear fruit we can be confident that our efforts will be offered. not because, oh, good, I said just what needed to be said. We can be confident because it's the Holy Spirit's job. We just need to be obedient to do what he asked us to do. May we be like Peter and John, so overcome by our experience of intimacy and fellowship with Jesus that We're willing to do whatever as individuals, as a church, whatever it is, to allow the Spirit of God to lead us and embolden us to be witnesses for Jesus, broken vessels, messed up, that are being loved and made more into the image of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for your word and how it truly does encourage us and how it strengthens us as well. And I pray for all of us, God, as we we now move into a time of communion, Father God, as we want to remember what you did by sending your Son for us to die, to pay for all of our sin, to allow us to be seen as righteous before our Heavenly Father, and to continue to move forward in this life as we become more and more intimate with him, growing, shaving off those rough edges. Thank you, God, that you do these things in our lives, God. I pray that you would help all of us, each of us in this room, to fall deeper in love with Jesus. Help us to help each other to do that. That's our desire. Light a flame anew in our hearts. Help us to know what it means to be enthralled with Jesus. And it's his name we pray, amen.